The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. We are in Ephesians 3 today, uh, starting at verse 2. Ephesians 3, verse 2. And it says this, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is God's word for us today. Well, we are in the uh, second week of our series, Imagine That, and uh, we're in this series for, for the next eh, four or five weeks. Uh, I should know that, but I don't. Uh, so at any rate, for a while. And, uh, and we're, we're basing this, this whole series, we're looking at uh, just one chapter in the Bible, we're just looking at Ephesians 3. And we're saying, how does Ephesians 3 kind of relate to this idea of Advent and Christmas, the idea of Jesus coming, and then how does that relate to our life? And so we really got the, the title for this series from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Uh, which says that we have a God who does more than all we can ask or imagine. That God does more than all we can ask or imagine. And so last week we got into this idea of what does it mean for us to imagine. And we, we talked about how in our culture we have what the philosopher Charles Taylor calls a social imaginary. Right? Those of you that here last week that were able to stay awake through that one, uh, like you'll, you'll remember we, we talked about this, and, and Charles Taylor says our social imaginary, our, our sort of cultural way of, of thinking about the world, of how we imagine the world to be, of how we perceive it and move through it, uh, is what he calls a closed, imminent frame. And what he says that means is that for, for those of us believers, non-believers alike, that for most of us in our day in and day out life, we don't really think about the supernatural or the transcendent having much to do with it or interfering with it. That we just kind of go about thinking that things are just as we see them. That there isn't too much going on behind the scenes. Now, some of us may believe that there's stuff going on behind the scenes, but day in and day out, we're not really actively thinking about that. And so he says our social imaginary just sort of works with this purely uh, imminent frame, with this closed system that says all, what we see is what there is. Now, I say all that, but I think every single one of us here, regardless of where you're at in faith, would say that there's moments in life, that there's been moments in your life where it seems like there's something beyond what you see where it seems like there's, there's sort of something transcendent that sort of impinges upon you, right? I think this happens to, to all people. I, so this, this last week, my uh, community group, we were meeting, and, and we ended up in this conversation about how sort of each of us have had these moments of sort of wonder and awe and, and joy or, or things where it's just like there's just something bigger going on here, right? Like I remember one gal in my group talked about how, you know, her dad lost his job and it seemed like the worst thing ever, but it actually opened up for their family to move here right as another family member was getting ill and so they could actually take care of them. And it was just like too much timing was at work there for God's hand not to be involved, right? You ever have moments like that, right? Or, or, or maybe you've just had moments of, of awe where you're staring at creation or up at the stars or at a mountain and you're just like, there is just something pulling at me here. There's something deep moving inside of me. Or maybe you, you held your baby for the first time or something like that, and it's like something bigger is happening than just what I see at face value, right? And that's not just for believers, right? Non-believers, this happens to, to folks who, who would have nothing to do, who would never step foot in, in here, right? I, uh, I did a wedding uh, 
two weekends ago. It was for the, the captain of my soccer team. And one of his groomsmen was the owner of the soccer club that I play at. And, and so the owner of the soccer club I play at, the first time uh, I told him I was a pastor, you know, I tried to keep it hush-hush for a while, keep it on the DL, so, you know, because people get weird. We have talked about this a million times, right? It's just like, okay. So anyways, so I, I finally, you know, broke the news, my deep, dark secret that I'm a pastor. And, uh, and he said, uh, he looked at me, and we're standing right by the field, and he pointed to the field, and he goes, well, this has been my religion for a long time. And so that's kind of like right where, where his faith is at, right? And so I'm doing this wedding ceremony, and he's one of the groomsmen, and I look over while I'm preaching, and the dude is like bawling. What is going on? So, so afterwards, he, he comes up to me, and he's like, bro, we got to talk. Like something happened to me while you were talking. He's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what was going on, but it was a good thing. Like my heart, like something was happening in there. He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All I know is we got to hang out more, right? So, so believer, non-believer, we have these moments of awe. We have these moments of wonder. We have these moments where something outside of ourselves seems to be pulling at us. That, that despite our imminent frame of our social imaginary, there's something transcendent that seems to impinge upon us, something that seems to draw us deeper. And it's just a human experience. We've all felt it. And so what is it? What is that? Well, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so Lewis's point here is that if we all have these sort of deep, unexplainable longings, that we can't find satisfaction for here, if we have these moments of awe and wonder where it's like something is out there, then the logical conclusion is that there is something out there that is drawing that from us. And so what is that? What is that? Well, in our text for today, the, the author of our text, the Apostle Paul, unpacks that for us, shares with us what that is. Uh, and he does it first by establishing his authority, who he is to say this to us. Secondly, by revealing what the mystery is. He tells us what it is. And then thirdly, by inviting us into it. All right, so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see Paul establish his authority, reveal the mystery, and invite us into it. All right, so, so let's dig into it. All right, we're going to get into verses 2 and 3 to, to start off here. So look with me. Uh, St. Paul writes, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. All right, so let's break this down. First of all, uh, verse 2, St. Paul writes, says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now that word administration that Paul says, God's given me this administration, uh, that word in, in the Greek is oikonomian. It's a fun word, oikonomia. Now, the root word you can hear there is, is the word oikos. And oikos is uh, the Greek word for family. Uh, not just a yogurt company. Uh, it's, it means family, right? And, and so, uh, so you can get the idea that an oikonomian is, is the manager, the administrator of a household. That in an ancient culture that had a large household, they, they would have had someone that, that managed the household. So Paul deliberately places his authority, he deliberately places his leadership in the context of family. That just like a large household in the ancient world would have had someone managing their affairs, Paul says, I'm a manager of the household of God. 
That's what I'm about. And so what does that look like? What does it mean for him to be a manager of the household of God? Well, he says, I'm an administrator of God's grace given to me for you. For you. So Paul says here, his authority, his leadership is best used. It's best used when he uses it to apply God's grace to God's people. See, this is an important point. God gives leadership and authority not for the gain of the leader, but in order to bless his people. God gives leadership and authority not for the gain of the leader, but in order to bless his people. Now, I want you to imagine how big this would have been for the folks that, that Paul was writing to in the first century. That again, the, the book of Ephesians that we're studying today was a letter that St. Paul wrote uh, to a group of people living, living in a city called Ephesus. And we discussed a little bit more about the city last week. You can listen to that on the podcast if you'd like. But Ephesus was, was really a very religiously pluralistic city. That one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, uh, is there. And in addition to the worship of Artemis, folks in Ephesus also worshipped Sybil, Dionysus, uh, and even the Egyptian goddess Isis. I'm not sure how she made her way up there, but she did. Uh, and, and now what, what all these, these gods had in common that were worshipped in Ephesus was that they were known in the ancient world as mystery cults. That all of these were, were, were mystery cults. Uh, and what that meant is, is that the adherents to these cults were, were sworn to secrecy about what they experienced uh, in religious rituals. So these mystery cults were sworn to secrecy about what they experienced in religious rituals. And so in verse 3, when Paul uses this word mystery to these people, this is like a weighty term for them. It's got a lot of, of a back uh, story behind it. And so what he does is he turns this idea of a mystery cult on its head. It's as if Paul says here, see, he says, the mystery has been revealed to me and I've written to you about it. So he says, mystery has been revealed to me. I know about it, but I'm not keeping it secret from you. I'm telling you about it. I'm not keeping anything hidden from you. It's as if he's saying to these folks, you know those mystery cults you've been a part of your whole life where weird stuff happened and you weren't allowed to talk about it? Where religious leaders demanded things of you and you didn't know why and you had to obey anyways? Remember where you, you longed to know about the deeper things of life and that was met with exploitation and secrecy? Paul says that's not how it works in the household of God. He says my authority exists to reveal the mystery to you. My authority exists to proclaim God's grace to you. See, God gives authority and leadership not for the gain of the leader, but in order to bless his people. And so for those of you that are maybe in, in leadership positions, either in this church or in the world, in your jobs, in your families, whatever that is, understand that, that God gives authority and leadership not for your own gain, but that you might bless others. Uh, I remember when we were first starting Acts Leander, it was like, is before we ever had a worship service, we were still just like 25 people meeting in, in the Carrie's living room and doing that thing. And, and I had this idea, you know, you know, we really want service to be core to who we are as a church. And so I said, let's, let's build a house for Habitat for Humanity. And so I had like done some of the legwork and met with the folks at Habitat. And I was like, our launch team is going to do this. It's going to be cool. Even before we've launched as a church, we're going to build a house together. It's going to be awesome. And so like I'm inviting everyone in our launch team. I set it up a month in advance, and I say, hey guys, this is coming up. Mark this date on your calendar. It's going to happen. I want you to be there. Be a part of it. I'm all excited. And the day finally arrives, and I show up to the site to build this house. Two people showed up. I'm just going to tell you, it's really hard to build a house with two people, right? 
In fact, it doesn't happen. Uh, and so Habitat was really upset with me because I had promised them 20 people. And I was really upset with my team. And so that, that next week, I went out to lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and I was just griping about this. I was like, man, these people are the worst. Selfish, greedy. Love you all now. Okay, that's cool. But I was just like, I was like, these, they're just, I just can't believe it. You know, it's this, that, and the other thing. And so I'm just getting all upset about it. And he just paused me. And he said, Gabe, just shut up. And he said, just as a leader, I know you're a young leader. You're figuring this out. I just want to give you a mantra for when this happens again, because it will. He said, this is the mantra I want you to have in your head as a leader. This is what it means to lead. When we fail, I fail. When we succeed, we succeed. When we fail, I fail. When we succeed, we succeed. Like that was a game changer for me. Game changer. So let me just say this. Uh, that, that my end goal as a pastor here is not to assemble my own little kingdom and build up my own ego. My end goal is to be an administrator of God's grace for you. That's it. And that Tanner who we just installed for Acts Church Antioch, that his goal as a leader for them is to be an administrator of God's grace for them. That whatever's going on, the end goal is that we as leaders in the church, like Paul, we seek to apply God's grace for you. And the best way to do that is the way Paul does it, and that's by revealing the mystery. Revealing the mystery. So look with me at verse 4. Paul writes, In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so Paul basically says here, hey, so y'all have been part of these mystery religions that's been a part of your, your whole upbringing. You've had these deep longings inside of you, these, these moments of awe, these moments of wonder. What's that all about? What's that all been pointing to? What are all those mysteries for? What's it all leading up to? And he says it's insight into the mystery of Christ. And all those deep longings, those moments of wonder, all that stuff is pointing us towards Jesus. See, Paul's saying 2,000 years ago what C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien said 60 years ago, the great writers, that the story of Jesus is the story. That the story of Jesus is the one that all of our stories are pointing to. Right? That in his famous essay uh, on fairy stories, J.R.R. Tolkien, guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, um, he wrote an essay on fairy stories and why he writes them and why he thinks they matter and what's, what's important about them. And he talks about how there's sort of this, this uh, love of fantasy that, that permeates all of humanity, that we love to see good conquer evil, right? We, we love to see redemption happen. We love to see true love fulfilled. And he says, what's that all about? Why do we have that inside of us? And he says, because it points us to a real joy, in his words, beyond the walls of the world that we find in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. It points us to a joy beyond the walls of the world that we find in Jesus. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, he calls it the deeper magic, right? The deeper magic. Uh, do you remember that? Like, you, you read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, or you saw the movies, right? And if you didn't, I don't know. It's Sunday afternoon, so get on it, all right? Um, and, uh, and so if you, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's a pretty simple story. And there's, there's the witch, and she's the bad guy. And, and, and she says to, uh, to Aslan, the lion, who's kind of the Christ figure, she says, hey, there's this little boy, Edmund, who's a traitor. And she said, Edmund, the traitor, he's mine because he's a bad guy, and so he gets to be mine. And Aslan says, that may very well be true, but you know what? Why don't you take my life instead of his? And so Aslan goes with the white witch, and she kills him. And then what happens, though? 
He rises again, and it's this amazing thing, and there's these little girls that saw him die, and then they like turn around for a moment, and sure enough, he's alive. And they say, what's going on, Aslan? What's going on? Like, like what does this mean? And listen to what he says. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. See, there's a deeper magic. This is what Paul's driving at. That, that all of our deepest desires, all our, our biggest wanderings and moments of awe, they're all pointing us towards this deeper magic. And Paul says that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. That everything is pointing us towards Him. That this baby born in a manger that we celebrate on Christmas is the biggest mystery of the universe revealed. That the transcendent Creator God would enter into human flesh, would become a part of His creation. That's the deeper magic. And see, here's the beautiful part. Is that our text tells us that we're all invited in. That you're all invited in. Look with me at verses 5-6. to six. Which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says here, just a quick summary, verse 5, he says, hey, in the past, not everyone got to know God's big picture of salvation, the complete picture of what he was doing. He said, but now we do. The Spirit of God's revealed that to us. And here it is, verse 6. This is what the big picture is. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promises of Jesus Christ. In other words, the mystery is that through the good news of Jesus, all people are invited in. Everybody is welcomed in to God's family. Now again, Paul is writing to this diverse group of people who are coming from, from all sorts of backgrounds. Uh, we saw last week, in, uh, we looked at the start of the church in Ephesus in Acts 19, uh, that the city of Ephesus had a very large Jewish population. And Paul went into the synagogues and preached to them, and surely some of them came to faith in Jesus. And then we've talked about today, uh, that, that many of the people that would have been a part of the church in Ephesus would, would have grown up as, as Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and would have worshipped the whole pantheon of Roman gods, right? And they surely came to faith in Jesus. And so what Paul says to this group of people here is that regardless of where you're coming from, we're all heirs of God's riches in Christ Jesus. We're all members of the body of Christ. We all share together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Like in three different ways, Paul says, you're in, you're in, you're in, right? We're, we're heirs together. We're members together. We're sharers together. He says, it doesn't matter if you grew up and you knew the true God your entire life. You're in because of Jesus. He says, it doesn't matter if you grew up worshiping the sun, moon, and the stars. He says, you're in because Jesus has invited you in. See, the mystery is revealed in Jesus. And you're all invited in. 
And see, this is good news. It's good news because I know at this church today, this morning, some of you think, well, you know, Pastor, you say all that, but like, I didn't really grow up in a church. I don't really know that much about the Bible. Like, I'm still just kind of like figuring this stuff. I don't really get all this. It's fine. In Jesus, you're invited in. You're invited in. And some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, but like, you don't, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Gabe, or you don't know what I'm still doing right now. Like, I'm in a dark place right now. I'm still working through some stuff. Listen, we'll figure it out. You're still invited in. In Jesus, you're invited in. Yeah, but Pastor Gabe, like, I, don't, I don't really like organized religion. I don't like this sort of stuff. Jesus says, you're invited into the family. You're invited in. Yeah, but what about my friends who really don't care about any of this? What about my husband? What about my wife? What about my parents? They're invited too. They can reject the invitation if they'd like, but they're invited too. See, the mystery revealed is that Jesus Christ came into this world. It actually happened. He's God incarnate. God with flesh and blood. Fully human. Fully divine. Son of God. Son of man. That he came and lived the life that you could not. He invited you into God's healing rule and reign and that he went to the cross for your sins. And that he rose again three days later and he offers you eternal life. And he offers you life and forgiveness right now. And let me tell you, in him, your deepest longings can be satisfied. In him, your moments of awe and wonder will actually have an object to land on. In him, you actually get to experience the deeper magic. It's my prayer is that you'd receive that invitation today and every day. I think one of the best ways for us to, uh, to experience the beauty of what Jesus has done for us is, is through art. And, uh, and so Tanner wrote, wrote a, a poem in which he kind of recognizes the, the mystery of Christmas. And so I've asked him to share that with us, uh, to kind of invite us in and, and see all that, that Jesus has done for us. Long before Mary heard, do not be afraid, and the angels heard on high. Before the three came to see the newborn king, and before John spoke of one greater than he, we were told of his coming. Before that Bethlehem night and the blind were given sight, before a disciple's deception and his gracious death and glorious resurrection, we waited for the day. By faith, we sat and prayed for the reveal to the one to whom we kneel, a promise written by the prophet's hand, long before we could understand the Almighty's infinite plan. Anticipation grew with our groaning, voices stretched louder. We longed for his first hour, and then, one day, in a manger surrounded by danger, a holy nativity scene, the incarnation of a king, fulfillment of a promise sent from heaven to earth, a virgin's birth, our cry answered by an infant holy and divine, the promised one has finally arrived. The one who was spoken of was spoken into the world to speak into the world, a world in need of a savior. Before he scorned the cross, he laid in a trough, a plate for a bed, no comfort for a king, royalty without a ring. Christ was born with a price on his head. Here laid God expressed in humble flesh, a man sent to die, a criminal's death to raise with victorious breath. 
And we waited for his coming, and now he is here. The one who shines light on our darkest fears, the suffering servant came to save, to endure the sin and the darkness of a grave. Who will strangle the stain of shame clean so we can be free. Who will take on the sting of death to give us eternal breath. Christ our King, human and holy, peace on earth, the true Christmas story to him, Emmanuel, be the glory. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did come for us. We thank you that uh, our longings, our moments of awe can find their, their hope in you, can find their rest in you. We thank you that you entered into our humanity, that we might know you, that we might know the God who's made us. We thank you that you went to the cross for us, that you rose again for us. Lord, teach us to, to find hope in you this day and always, to respond to the invitation to be a part of your family. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.